that when you follow Jesus, your real life begins and goes. And so we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26. Last week, I invite you to find that if you've got a Bible with you. Find Mark chapter 4. I'll read from the New Living Translation. Uh, Our youth pastor Janice uh, brought us through the first part of chapter 4 last week. Thank you, Janice. It was awesome. Uh, And we're going to pick up at verse 24. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. This is Jesus speaking and he's been teaching and then he says this. He says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Verse 30, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of seeds. Okay, technically it's not the smallest, but you know what he means. It's like, it's like the smallest of seeds. It's a tiny little seed. But it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. Verse 33, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. And as evening came, verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's be seated together. We're thankful to the Lord for his word. I think it was about 15 years ago, a group of men from the church uh, that we were part of were heading off on a deep sea fishing trip. And uh, I knew that that would not be a good place for me to go. The whole motion sickness thing, it's an issue for me. And uh, one of these brothers said, Hey, uh, Pastor Brian, somebody, uh, good news, somebody, we knew you weren't going, and so one of the guys paid for you to go. So it's all paid for, you're, you're coming along. I'm like, yay, that's great. So sure enough, we head out in the morning, that we, we drive out, and this is on the, the west side of Vancouver Island, so it's full open ocean, and um, we have a nice breakfast at the lodge in the morning, I mean nice breakfast, you know, expensive, nice breakfast. And I'm just dreading what's going to happen. We get on the boat. There's, I don't know, 20 or 25 people on the boat. There's three boats heading out. And uh, the first little bit is, I'm like, hey, this isn't bad. I can handle this. I didn't realize we're just in the harbor part. 
Then we get out in the open ocean. I think I lasted five, maybe ten minutes, and I'm over the back of the boat. There goes my expensive breakfast. Right? And that just can you the three hours just to get to the fishing area. And it's one of those ocean days where you see the other boat, you don't see the other boat. You see the other boat, you don't see the other boat. And you're going forward and backward and side to side and up and down. And for hours, I just hung onto that railing and I begged Jesus to take me. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's that feeling of, I'm not going to commit suicide, but Jesus, just kill me now. I can't. So sick. Just hurling for hours. And so... When we encounter this episode in, in Mark chapter 4 and the disciples are crying out, Lord, don't you care that we're going to get drowned? I get it. I feel their pain. I mean, maybe some of them were even thrown out. They were just, this was a desperate situation. Even these experienced fishermen, you know, in panic, feeling helpless, being tossed around on the waves. There's some of you, and I'm looking one of you back there, you love this stuff, um, and I love the fish. I just don't like being out there to catch it. Now, this episode is, uh, is more than just a simple account of an, of an episode. It's, it's a picture of storms we all face in our life, right? Uh, the obvious application is that we can trust Jesus. You see that he said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, hey, let's see if we can get across. Like, let's try going to the other side. Let's go as far as we can and see what happens. He says, we're going to the other side of the lake. So you can trust Jesus. Um, you know, He's with you in the storm. He's got authority over all things, even nature. All that's embedded in the story. But I want us to catch some of the nuance of what led to this and then the episode itself and why it matters from a day-to-day basis. We're in these parables leading up to starting at the beginning of, of chapter 4 and ver- going on through. And at verse 26, Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground and night and day while he's asleep or awake. The seed grows, sprouts and grows, and he does not understand how it happens. Earth produces the crops. Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes, he harvests it with a sickle. What's happening here? It's not that these parables are directly uh, connected to the storm episode, but it gives us an example of what's happening in the life of Jesus and his disciples. It's been a non-stop season of going and going and going and teaching and ministry and casting out demons and healing people. And the beginning of chapter 4 recounts that they're actually at the lake and Jesus is in the boat and says, hey, let, let me teach from the boat, pushes him out a little bit so he's got this kind of natural amphitheater. If you've ever been at a lake and someone's kind of halfway on the lake and it's amazing, they're just canoeing, paddling along, you can actually hear their conversation even though they're far away because the sound just kind of skips across the water. So that's kind of what's, what's happening there. And it's not necessarily been a straight, full teaching day, but it's very possible that it was. And so by nightfall, they're exhausted and they're looking for a little getaway to the east side of the lake. The water typically is calm at night on the Sea of Galilee. It should be no problem. But the parable sets something up for us. In that it's this, that just, just like a farmer can't explain exactly how a seed grows, doesn't really know what's happening and how, how it all comes together, can't explain that the size of the seed has nothing to do with the size of the plant. We see the message in this, that Jesus is at work even when we don't see it or we don't understand it. 
We could say it this way. If you're taking notes in your, your journal booklet today, you could say it this way. That God is at work in the quiet. God is at work in the quiet. In the dark. In the hidden places. I love that, that Robert shared with us about, about these believers. Uh, even baptizing at night when others aren't paying attention. Isn't it funny that the kingdom of God is not stopped because night falls? God is at work in the quiet. And most Christians at some point have said, hey, God must not be speaking to me because I, you know, I don't hear him speaking. But Jesus says, pay attention. He goes on in that in verses, uh, you know, verses 24 and 25. Pay attention because the more you listen, the more you'll understand. It sounds very simplistic. It sounds too easy. But, but you think about situations from your past, right? You're in a storm with your kids or, or, or you, you got some bad news from a family member or you're, you know, you're in a super stressful season at work. And your worrying about it helped how much? Right. Nothing. And did you discover that as you released it to the Lord, somehow He worked things out? Somehow it was okay? Somehow you managed through it? Even if you're still waiting for an answer right now, isn't it better to wait on God and trust in Him? God's at work in the quiet. And didn't your hearing improve when you released your concerns, your worries? Because worry is loud, it's noisy, it's deafening. And I found that only when I get to a place of quiet, when I say no, no to that noise in my life, that's when I begin to hear God speak. And I choose to assume that it's God speaking, and that God is speaking, that it's up to me to tune in to hear Him speak. See, Jesus loved using these uh, ag stories, these these you know, agricultural uh, metaphors and parables to illustrate spiritual principles. And he does that here. The point is that a gardener, right, can plant the seeds or the seedlings and waters them, tends to the plants. But there's nothing the gardener can do to actually make it grow. He's just like, oh, come on. God does the work. It's actually a wonderful marvel that it happens again and again and again. It's not like, well, last year we planted some seeds and they grew so... Chances are they probably won't this year. No, it's like you can count on it every year. It's an amazing principle. And, um, and even though it's quiet, in the, given the right conditions, the seeds will sprout and grow. And I wonder if you can trust that God is at work for you even in the silence. You know, we sang it in the song, You are for me, not against me. Some of you have a hard time believing that. You feel like God's against you. You feel like He's opposing you. I want to remind you, God is for you. He's not against you. But you've got to lean in and trust Him. You've got to let Him do that work in your life. Maybe you can say, Jesus, I trust that you're at work. Help me to quiet myself. Help me to listen. Help me to, to accept your assurance of efforts on my behalf. But here's a little secret. It could be scary along the way. Because the disciples, experienced fishermen, are in the storm of a lifetime, in fear for their lives. And where's Jesus? He's sleeping in the back. It literally says that he had his head on a cushion. Now, I did a little research in the Greek language, their original language, and they recently discovered that cushion could also mean flotation device. <laughs> so it's possible that Jesus was sleeping because, like, yeah, I'm fine. I got the flotation device. You guys don't. Maybe. Probably not. Right? 
Why is there a bed in the, in the boat? Well, sometimes they fished all night. You take turns, you take shifts, someone sleeps. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense that there's a boat there. Jesus is at fully at rest. And the people back on shore, you know, the people back on shore are safe. The people back on shore are perfectly safe. They're not in danger at all. So here's the question, where would you rather be? Would you rather be with Jesus, even if it means you're in a stormy boat? Or would you rather be where it's safe and secure and nothing significant is happening? Only those on the boat get to see Jesus speak to the waves. Only those in the boat get to see Jesus speak to the waves. Now, as Americans, we're all about safety, right? We, we avoid danger at all costs. We tell our kids be safe and we, we say be safe out there and like we pray for safety. All safety is like the number one thing. Um, I am a kid of the 80s and like I remember stuff a little bit like this. Like we got a picture. Uh, that's probably even from the 70s. I found that on the internet. Like no bike helmet, no elbow pads, no knee pads, just mayhem. And it's a banana seat Mustang, right? <laughs> I wiped out on one of those messed up, really bad. It was really, there's another picture here that's even better. This is, this is a devoted mom. Oh, I just love that picture. Isn't that great? Would you do that? No, no, right? In the world of following Jesus, listen, you can write this down. In the world of following Jesus, safety is not your friend. Safety is not your friend. Um, some of you know I have a, a, a little car that we, we have a little bit of fun with. And, and um, there was a special gathering for, for people who have little Mazdas. And so uh, this happened a few weeks ago. Um, I got to go on a, a, a couple laps on a racetrack in a, in a car. That's me. That's my, I'm on the passenger side of the white helmet. And I, I will tell you this. Possibly the most fun thing I've done in my life. And also terrifying. And there was a moment, it is so loud and so, I just thought, I, I was thinking about you, honestly. I thought, who will preach next Sunday? Because I might die. I might die. It's so fast and so fun and uh, apparently safer than skydiving. And, um, right. We just heard Robert share about our brothers and sisters who lay their very lives on the line to follow Jesus or their jobs or their families or their finances or whatever it is. Safety is not your friend when it comes to following Jesus. My, the reason I show you that little picture of the car is because it was so fun, but I had to kind of enter. Now, it's a lot safer than it felt at the time, but... You have to enter the bit of that danger zone to have that experience. Here's something to recognize that we get into a storm, we get into a challenging situation. We, you, you, someone, you, you felt like you should share the gospel with that coworker or that classmate or something, and then you get there and you're like, "I can't do this. This is too hard. It's too stormy." And then, and we say, "Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me." And, and maybe somewhere else we read that 
you know, you read elsewhere that Jesus came. There's another storm. Jesus comes walking across the water to the disciples. But verse 36 really doesn't, and the New Living Translation doesn't communicate this detail very well. Now I'll pull up another translation. New King James puts it this way. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus had already, he was already in the boat, teaching from the boat. And he says, hey guys, let's get in, let's go across the lake. Jesus was already in the boat even before the storm started. You need to understand that whatever storm you're in, Jesus is already in your boat. He's already there in there with you. And you're, you're struggling with your kids or you're struggling with your finances, your health, or there's your, your work situation, your classes or whatever. You're in some situation and you're thinking, I don't know if we can do this. Jesus is in your boat. You're battling an addiction. You're, you're, you're trying to make a big decision. Jesus is already in your boat. Now, Jesus practiced good self-care. Been a long, exhausting day of teaching. He's taking a nap. He's not sitting and just kind of nodding off. He deliberately is lying down for that sleep. And then finally they call out to him and they, they wake him up to help them. Jesus is in your boat and he's not alarmed by the storm. He's at rest. So I would say turn to Jesus in that place. And don't wait so long. Don't make Jesus your last resort. Don't say, well, we've gone through all this struggle. We've spent all this money trying to fix this problem. We've done this and this. Maybe we should pray. How about we begin by saying, this is turning into a little bit of a storm. Jesus why wait so long? Why wait till it seems like you're, you're gonna drown? Why, why wait until it seems like it's sure disaster? Why not call out to Jesus right away? And maybe you're saying, well, the reason I don't do crazy stuff like Robert says you can go help smuggle stuff to other countries. You know, I think I've shared with you the story of my parents who've been on something like 25 Bible smuggling trips. These nice, nice elderly Mennonite people sneaking Bibles into countries, right? And you think, why, why would you bother doing that? Or even spring break and this coming spring, uh, we're sending a group to, well, we're not sending a, our, we're participating in a group that's going to go to Guadalajara, Mexico. You think, hi, I don't want to do that. I might, I might have to get a passport and, what if I get sick? And what if something bad happens? It's like, why, why not? Why not go? Why not participate? Why not take some risk? Why not step into the potential of a storm and follow Jesus in that way? Because you, you say, well, I don't really want the storm. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want... Why not? Because that's where Jesus is. Jesus is there in the storm. The good stuff doesn't really happen when we play it safe. It's that place of adventure. It's a place of risk, that place of obedience that the good stuff happens. I don't know if you've been in situations where you really believe you're following God's direction and then you, 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 you took a risk, you, 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 in, you gave money generously to something or you, you shared the gospel with somebody or you, you joined a group of some kind and you realize, man, if Jesus doesn't come through, we're, we're in trouble here. Maybe it's a parenting storm, a health storm, a financial storm, whatever it is. And maybe it's not safe, but do you have a better option on your own? Life in the status quo is obviously easier. It always is, but you're going to miss out 
what Jesus has. And even though the disciples were glad for the storm to end, it's a remarkable finish to that story. They were terrified. Literally, it says they feared a great fear. They were with Jesus. You know how we say, you know, we, we, should, we, should, we should worship Jesus. We should fear God. Yeah, they, were, they would have been afraid of the storm. And now they're like, oh, oh, this is, this is more than we bargained for. This is more than we bargained for. They were in a good way terrified of the great power of Jesus. And I wonder as the water calmed, if they remembered some of the Psalms they grew up with. Psalm 89.9 uh, says this, 88 verses 8-9. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed Waves. Did they think about that? How they read those psalms all their growing up days and, and sang, maybe they even sang a song about it. They're like, wait a second. Or Psalm 107 puts it this way. Let's go to that next slide. Um, starting verse 23. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. Lord help! They cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Did they think about that? Did that, like, oh, that sounds familiar. As Jesus is calming that storm. Following Jesus might get stormy for you. But that's the only place to see God at work. Safety's not your friend. And then we read in verses 39 and and 40, They cry out to Jesus and it says this, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, Why are you still, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I don't want Jesus to have to ask me those questions. Why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith? Because faith and fear cannot coexist. They don't, they don't go well together at all. It's a tug of war in your heart between these two, fear and faith. You're in a bad situation and fear says there's no hope. It's all over. You're done for. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your finances. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your life, whatever it is. Fear blinds you to the fact that Jesus is in the boat with you. Blinds you to the fact that even if you did lose everything, you're still with Jesus. And Jesus wants us to realize that we always have a choice of fear or faith. Fear or faith. Last week, Dr. Teddy shared with us, or two weeks ago shared with us, uh, in Ethiopia, these church planners that had been trained, 15 church, young church planners, college grads, had been trained to go plant churches in uh, Somali areas in the edge of Ethiopia. And it was a bus crash. Three of them lost their lives. Just when they'd been trained, ready to go. And I'm sure there was some level of intrepidation. I'm sure there was some kind of fear as they headed into the, but they chose faith to go and follow the Lord's call in their lives. And those, some of those, those, those ones who perished, some of their family members and friends are saying, we'll take up the cause. We will go in their place. 
because they recognize that faith is better than fear. We always have a choice. Now, John the Apostle wrote in, in 1 John 4 that, that, that perfect love expels fear. So maybe we could say that, fe- that love is the cure for fear. I would say based on this that, that faith is the vaccination against fear. It, faith is the inoculation. So my level of fear about any situation I'm facing is an indication of the level of my faith. Some of you feel like even in your business, God's challenging you to do something new. You're scared. God's saying, you can trust me. I'm going to walk with you through this. Or whatever your situation is. If there's more fear, there's less faith. And if there's less fear, there's more faith. Even if you say, well, I'm not afraid. But if faith is absent, you are in fear. And you can measure fear in any number of ways. The easiest ways are physical. It's sleeplessness. It's stress headaches. It's pain from a clenched jaw in the morning. It's, it's panic money decisions. It's any of those things. Anytime we find ourselves striving to kind of make something happen, to force a situation manipulating it, making phone calls that aren't ours to make, interfering in other people's lives. We're living in fear. And why are we operating in fear in that moment? It's because we're not trusting God to take care of us. We forgot that He's in the boat. And so instead of having faith, we're saying, God, I don't see you doing anything right now. I don't see you solving this situation. And so I'm going to do whatever I can. Fix whatever pieces I can. Some of you think that, well, God helps those that help themselves. I hate to break it to you, but that is not in the Bible. God helps the helpless. God helps those who reach out, who cry out in faith. God helps those who say, Jesus, I cannot do this. We want to fix a situation. We want God to fix a situation. Sometimes we just need Him to fix our heart. So that we'll trust Him. So that we'll have faith. Why am I afraid? Because I don't have faith. Why don't I have faith? It's because I'm choosing to ignore God's promises. Not trusting that God knows and will do what's best for me. Now the disciples thought the worst case scenario was drowning. That's the worst thing that could happen is that we drown and die. Wouldn't have been the worst thing would not have been the worst thing for them to drown. The worst thing that could have happened was for them to continue to struggle against that storm and not invite Jesus into the situation. Oh, he's sleeping. Don't bother him. That's probably what they said at first. Just let him sleep. He's tired. We, we'll, keep, we'll get this. That's oh, getting really bad, Peter. Yeah, let him sleep. Peter, we're going to drown. Yeah, you're right. Wake him up. The worst thing would have been if they had just kept trying and trying on their own and not calling on Jesus. Stubbornly living in fear and trying to figure out things ourselves is the worst thing we can do. It's exhausting and it's destructive to your life. What about you and me? I'm going to invite the worship team because we're going to sing a great song as we close. It's a great opportunity to ask ourselves those testing questions of, 
You know, am I avoiding a dangerous life? Am I avoiding obedience? Am I avoiding just doing what God asked me to do because I'm in fear and therefore missing the storm silencing miracles? Could I live in more faith and less fear in my life? Some of you have hung on to something for a long time. It might be something as simple. I really need to talk to that person about whatever situation. It might be something like, I need to forgive this person for something that they did to me. And you're afraid to forgive them because you're afraid they're going to get away with it. You're afraid that they're not going to suffer for what they did for you. You're afraid that, that they might not apologize even though you forgive them. Whatever, fear takes so many forms. And Jesus is just inviting you to say, will you just trust me? Will you just have faith in these situations? Will you just surrender it to me? And walk in faith. We're going to sing the song, Oceans. It's a little reference to the time that Peter walked on the water, but it's an invitation to just put our full faith and trust in Jesus. I invite you to stand as we prepare to sing. Let's pray. God, I thank you that those disciples got to see those dramatic, that dramatic moment in the water when you showed you have authority over all things. And I know some people in this room have seen some of the very same things. Seen you intervene in a relationship that was just doomed or seen you step in when finances seemed hopelessly impossible or stepped in when kids seem to be completely off the rails. God, there's all these ways that we've seen you step in. Lord, we've waited. I know I've waited way too long, way too often to cry out to you. And I've let my fear dominate when I needed to have faith. So Jesus, I just ask that you guide us into those places of greater faith and trust in you. And church, as we sing the song, I just invite you just to be asking the Lord, God, is there any place where I'm in fear when I need to be in faith? And let him point, put his finger on that and draw you into greater faith in him.